Welcome to Video Night with your hosts, Michael and Andrew. What up, Andrew? Hey, Michael. Alright, another episode of Video Nights. Yep. What are we going to talk about this episode? Have you seen Interstellar yet? No. No, I haven't. I never go to the movies. Well, I never go to the theater anymore. Do you want to see Interstellar? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's... Okay, here's the thing with space movies. You and I have different ideas, I think, when it comes to space movies. Like, you like more of the technical, real-world kind of vibe. I think I dig more like the, the pop call You know, like the Gal- Guardians of the Galaxy, Stargate. You know, stuff is more fantastic instead of realistic. But both of those also have future realism. And i that's what I like. It's called future realism. Yeah, Aaron mine's more like it. the big special effects. You know, like stuff meant for... Uh, I don't know how to say it. I don't want to say I'm dumb. But uh, more simple... Your popcorn. Concept. Yeah, popcorn. Popcorn flicks. You know, you're more the technical. You like... If your stuff goes up for Academy Awards... Oh, no. You know, uh... I don't like Academy <laughs> Awards. I'm against award shows. Okay, okay. Uh, but um, I know what you're saying. Um yeah, but, but I'm, 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 it, I'm actually both. I haven't seen Interstellar either. Oh, okay, okay. I mean, I love Christopher Nolan's movies, but I get the feeling it's a little sterile. And I feel like that's the reception from the audience. It did well, but it didn't do great like the rest of his stuff. So I wonder if that's what's going on. I think he's up his own hiney with his ideas. Um, Maybe. Matt, uh, Memento was great. Super great, but it's still a straightforward and linear show. It's just edited so that it's boggling. And then Inception isn't nearly as brilliant as it says it is. It claims it is, and it's really actually quite easy to follow. Second time I watched it, I was bored. Um, first time was it totally floored. But in Interstellar, really, the trailer said, We're taking ourselves so seriously. <laughs> and android doesn't no uh well its ideas are a little bit bigger than what it looks like it could be it looks like it it is a roger corman movie technically because you, li- you like the segue finest. everybody that, i a love segways yes except android. for the actual segways <laughs> yeah i pointed it out so you guys didn't miss it um android is the first movie we're going to talk about um it's a pick that michael made he he picked it Michael, actually, yeah. I mean, Mike, last Mike, we were, we were, I yeah. talked about doing it for the last episode, but it had been Which a while is, since I've seen it, so I completely misunderstood what the movie was about. Yeah, <laughs> I think maybe mis- making Mister Right or something is what you were thinking, but uh, no, that's yeah. a that's well, a I robot he, romance with yeah. Uh, John do you want to go ahead and play the trailer? Yeah, go ahead. All right, let's play that trailer. Deep space, undisturbed, peaceful, isolated and experiments with the creation of life. Add three desperate characters running for their lives. Meet Max. Space is all he knows. And he desperately wants more. What kind of work do you do here, Max? I'm Dr. Daniel's assistant, as I said. You didn't say anything about the experiment? No, sir. Of course not. Max didn't tell me there was a woman with you? Now, let me get this straight. You've got a... An android. That's uh, like a robot, right? That's correct. And you want to hook me up to this robot and stimulate me. Stimulate like sex, right? What are you talking about? Max is an android. Well, that was very well done, Max. Really? Well, I've been doing a lot of research. Come on, Maggie. There's plenty to go around. I've created the prototype of the perfect working class. You're both androids. Not to mention the perfect woman. There are others like us on Earth, Max, in hiding, and we're going to join them. What's going on here? 
android, much more than human, android. Okay, so that was the trailer for Android. Uh, that was my first selection. Um, it, like I was saying, it looks like an exploitation movie. Roger Corman tried to sell it that way. It is not. It is actually a very sensitive tale. But at the same time, they do have special effects it's sequences. It's totally exploitation. Actually, There's so many guys. Uh, I don't know. but Everybody's okay, so, honing in on the one female in the cast trying to bone her. Yes, and she she is nude. So there's some there's some typical Roger Corman stuff there, like reusing special effects from Battle Beyond the Stars again, and uh, having nude scenes in it and violence. But I feel it's it's a more thought out. I think film than... I think they snuck in some concepts that weren't really supposed to be in there. I think right. I think Corman just signs off on a poster and then gets you know like screamers. That was uh, Fishman, and it says, uh, yeah. Island of the Fishman, and it says, you'll see a man be turned inside out, and you never see that, but you see some sort of dark, oozy blotch at the beginning of the movie that they shot specifically for that. So he signs off on a foreign-made film or a poster, and then tries to tailor-make everything that, yeah. to the concept that they presented to us, sold it to the market, whatever, but it never comes through. Now I would say what most works for the movie is Don Opper. Fans, uh, genre fans will know him from the Critters Critters. series. He really didn't do a whole lot outside of that, but he wrote and produced this movie with Aaron Lipstadt. They did one more movie together called City Limits, and that was pretty much it for Aaron. And then uh, Don went on to the Critters movies. City Limits, eh? Yeah. Not a very good Mystery Science Theater movie, no. Yeah. so, you know, the movie cost, I think, like $300,000. They reused effects from uh, Battle Beyond the Stars to save money. And uh, it's more about the characters. And if, if Don Opera wasn't so good as the main character, you know, as an android trying to figure out how to be human. In fact, he's the first android that looks human. If I remember correctly, there's a scene where they're all confused as to how this is possible because androids always looked really obvious. Like, you know, like C-3PO kind of well, androids. Well, for lack of spoiling, I mean... At risk of spoiling, um, he's not the first. That looks no, weird. not no, not not the only. Uh, we don't want to give it away. The, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Okay. Klaus, so, uh, uh, what, what is it? Kinski? Is it? What's his Klaus name? Kinski. Klaus Kinski. Klaus right. Kinski. He has a very nasal voice. It's, he says things very funny, he's, and I love listening to his voice. Werner Herzog's uh, best fiend, best friend slash fiend. He's in it. He's the scientist that helps create, um, or does create, the android. Uh, I can't say I liked it. No? Oh, I've seen it quite a few times. I really enjoy it. And I've, seen, I've seen it a long time ago, and then I revisited it. Um, yeah, I can't I'm not say, gonna say I, it, I totally like it. Yeah, I'm not going to say it's a Cracker Jack movie where tons of stuff happens. It's mostly about the characters, and... Uh, and this movie is not, of course, to be confused with Klaus Kinski's other space movie that's complete and absolute crap, Creature. <laughs> oh, yeah. Or is it called Precious Find or something like that? Uh, Titan, Titan Find. Find. Titan Ti- Find, yeah. yeah. Um, this movie, just to summarize, real quick summary, uh, there's some escaped convicts. They blow out of their prison ship, and they come towards this uh, base this what Saturn base, Moon base, or yeah, something. It's, it's like a satellite, yeah, not yeah, really a ship. Yeah, and um, that base is, just has two people on it. It has this old scientist guy and this uh, android who's constantly looking at how to have sex with ladies videos, which are really <laughs> funny, really funny uh, line drawings, almost 
neon art. It's, it's really silly looking um, for a future. It doesn't quite look like the future. Right. Anyway. Oh, the, I love how the video games look like they're from 1980. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, not, they're not futuristic in any way whatsoever. He's just like, are you playing an Atari? What are you doing? Yep. Games of the future! And so, you know, you, you understand the dilemma from there. Escape convicts show up and pass themselves off as not escaped convicts, and then they want to get back to Earth. And he wants to go to Earth because, you know, he wants to go to Earth, says the robot. But, yeah, fill in the blanks there. That's one movie down. Yeah, I was going to say, that one I really enjoy, apparently. Uh, they didn't do very well. I remember reading somewhere that Roger Corman said it's one of the only movies he ever released that did not make its money back. And technically, he made, a, he made a profit because the Aaron Lipstadt and Don Keith Opper both put in their money to buy it back, and they released it on their own. And then eventually going around to the film festivals and circuits and stuff like that, they uh, end up making a profit. So okay. that's why uh, Anchor Bay has the DVD and not the normal companies that have Roger Corman's stuff because he no longer owns the rights. Next movie that we have is also picked by you. Yes. Either by, by two names... Beyond the Outer Moon? No, Beyond, beyond the Rising, beyond the rising moon. moon. Now, there's a reason why it's and called Outer World. The new title is called Outer World because he went back, re-edited it, and added new special effects. Uh, yes, technically, it's still the same movie. It's like saying, you know, the special edition of Star Wars and the original Star Wars are two different movies when they're not. But uh, Beyond the Rising Moon, um, I haven't seen Outer World. I've only seen Beyond the uh, Rising Moon because... Uh, That's the one I saw. Yeah, it's easier yeah. to find. Uh, Outer World, I think you can only buy exclusively from the director... Philip Cook, and no relation, and uh, you know I just I'm, I wasn't in the mood to. It's a good movie, but I'm not gonna go buy the new version. Well, listen to the trailer. All right, here we go. What if you found it? Technology from another world. What would you do? Would it complicate your life? Could it make you rich? What if you weren't human, but a genetically engineered assassin, and your employers were after you? She's defected. From writer-director Philip Cook of Despiser, an invader comes out of world. Increase altitude now! I want you to fly me to Innisfree. It's quite a distance. You have to be talking about a lot of money. I was designed for corporate warfare. Theft, seduction, assassination. You belong to us. Always know your objective and pursue it with ruthless precision. Adventure begins in the outer world. Whoever possesses that data is going to be very rich. All right, there's the trailer for Outer World, a.k.a. Beyond the Rising Moon. Uh, the reason I chose this movie, I'm not going to say it's a truly fantastic movie, but what it did, it kind of did before other movies. Like, if you watch it now, you're going to go, oh, that's like this and this. And, um, you know, it's from 1987. And the one thing that really stuns me about the movie is the fact that he did it basically on his own for $175,000. And it looks like it cost a couple million, in my opinion. No, it doesn't. No, I think it does. I think the nope. work that he put into it was something that was very difficult to do at the time, especially for a guy. I can say it's a labor of love for him. Right. I can say totally it's a labor of love for him. But um, for me, uh, because I'm not blind, I like to see movies first, and then the the hearing is secondary. And it, but it's like a close second. It's not um, kicked out of the way. But. Uh, you know Thunderbirds? Yeah, yeah. Thunderbirds is really inexpensively made and made with the same uh, preceding techniques as this guy did with a lot of the, his models and stuff. But it looks ace. It always looks great. Jerry Anderson, who did Thunderbirds, right, made everything with a super, super awesome designs eye. 
designer's eye. Um, this this movie, I couldn't. It wasn't visually pleasing to me. Okay. At all. Besides that, I thought the the story is pretty entertaining. It's it's actually kind of a romantic movie. It I mean, it does have yeah. The, it's it's a robot thing, right? She's a, she's uh, a I thought droid. she was I thought she was genetically engineered. I didn't think she was a robot. I think she was a cyborg sort of thing, but also maybe like in a Terminator sense where he's got skin. Man, maybe you know? I was doing something else while watching the movie one, and they explained that. But I thought she was genetically genetically engineered, and that she was being controlled by the government. But she revolts against. And then she goes. She revolts. Yeah, but um, it, you know, and a lot there's of, some dude. Well, well, what's the plot? Uh, basically, you know, she. Uh, you know what? <laughs> I hate explaining plots because they kind of explained it in the trailer. But basically, you know, she revolts against her controllers, and uh, she takes out their men. She wants to get away from their planet, but at the same time, uh, get revenge on them. And she hires this Han Solo kind of guy that she eventually falls in love with, and they go off. And um, they—they're there to actually. The MacGuffin is this is alien technology that has crashed thousands of years ago that they just found or something. And that's the MacGuffin. That's their the, the where they have to go. That's what everybody wants. And the the leader, the the CEO, the the black guy. I hate to to say that. Yeah, to d- d- dilute it down to he's the, only, he's the only he's the only black guy in the movie. So but he's the only black guy in the thing. He tries to do this British accent, which is excruciating, and I, I just yes, I would I, I would say the movie. I is... can do I can do a British accent easy, no big deal. I can't do a bad British accent because when I was a kid, I grew up in Europe at, at, at a certain age in which I absorbed my classmates' accents. Uh-huh. I can do Australian. I can do Australian accent. I can do British accent, and then from watching movies and Monty Python stuff, I can do it even bolder and weirder, crazier versions. But I can't do it badly. I'm not going to prove it. <laughs> <laughs> but I can't. But but this guy, he's doing it everything like when a when a British person does an American accent wrong, I'll do that one. Hello. I am an American. Yeah. How so, do you do? So basically it's like this, it's I am an American. It's like it's like that. Yes. Yeah. And that immediately he's like got the first you know how Indiana Jones starts the movie off with the big hook, an action hook, and the ball rolling? Yeah. And excitement! This movie starts off with none of that. Like, he didn't even pay attention to how exciting it is made. He just starts off with this guy who doesn't speak right. Yeah, I'll give you that. <laughs> Expositing to another CEO, who, and they just stare at each other for a bit with long pauses and then a lot of dialogue. Now, if this was a studio <sighs> movie, I think I probably would have liked it less. But knowing that this guy, like you said, did it out of labor of love... Pretty much did yeah. everything on his own um, over a couple years period of time. I, I really enjoyed what he was trying to do, and I, I enjoyed hey, you, the plot. You I'm can not... respect that. You yeah. can respect that. Right. But you can also, it's it's not. You can tell that it's labor of love and not, uh, you know, by the numbers studios. Not even yeah. that. The room. The room isn't a labor of love. The room is just a mess because it's a mess. Yeah, he just wanted to make a movie, um, but he had no idea how to make a movie. Right. This guy didn't know how to make a movie, but he had the ideas, and he tried. Really tried. So it is the labor of love, and I respect that. All right, next movie. Oh, what do we got? We got, we got, we got... Oh, this is one of mine, and we don't have a trailer for it, because it's a Swiss movie. It's called Cargo. Oh, and I just finished that. Right before the episode, I just finished Cargo. How did you enjoy it? Uh, I will say... The middle chunk was more entertaining. It kind of peters off towards the end, even though you know they're still trying to wrap up the story. I think mm-hmm. uh, 
I think I hurt myself by watching it in three different segments. Like I watched one, then did something, watched a little bit later, you know, and then finished it off this morning. So I think that's that's partially my problem. I like the okay. uh, the look of it. The visuals are really strong. The special effects are pretty solid for the most part, except for the, like when they're floating yeah. out in space. It kind of like you can right. see the shadow. Those look a little cheesy, don't they? Yeah. Um, they, uh, they, it looks a little bit CG than it should. Right, and, and um, the, of course, into dubbing, floating, du- just space floating scenes. Dubbing English over sometimes makes it worse. I almost rather read the subtitles because you're, kind, you're it, kind of thrown off. You're like, that's not the right voice in my head at all. What she should sound like. It, it was very anime, except for the guy, the hero dude. Yeah, uh, the guy, the guy with the beard was the most natural voice actor on there, and he was really natural. And a lot of points, uh, and except for the parts where the guy has to fit something into the original actor's mouth, the words, you know? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so since I kind of screwed it up by watching three different chunks, the plot is a little disjointed, so you should probably explain it. All right. So um, these people are on their... their it, it starts off with the billboard floating in space. Why is the billboard floating in space? Because there's a big space station that everybody's on. By the way, that's and, the most uh, awe-inspiring thing I've seen in a sci-fi movie in forever. The way he designed and shot that was just jaw on the floor. Yeah. Oh, that's that's the good the good CG in space stuff. The bad CG in space stuff is when the the transport ship is moving and it's always from behind and it looks like it's CG but pretty decent but still yeah. CG. Um <clears throat> anyway, this lady, she's on there. She's a she's a, well, I forget. She's a scientist of some sort. She's a doctor, and she um, is on uh, a scheduled shuttle to go to uh, space another space station, which they'll disembark, grab some stuff. They'll disembark that ship, grab some some cargo, and go onto another ship, and then leave and go to this place called Rhea, which is the big billboard that you see at the beginning. And um, it takes four years to get there because of space travel and all this stuff. She's been sending uh, video messages and stuff like this to her sister, who is already on Rhea, and it takes four years for her to get a message back. Everything takes four years. Mm -hmm. Except when they get to... They're on their way to the station. She's the only person up on the ship because they sleep in shifts. The uh, other crew members sleep in shifts. She gets up and she hears this noise and she goes to investigate and she finds that um, somebody's been tampering with some of the cargo. Hence the name Cargo of the title, whatever. Uh, another guy, the security, the Sky Marshal guy, uh, because there's a terrorist ahead of time, they gave us information that there's a terrorist going all about trying to stop this whole Rhea thing for some reason. That reason becomes clear later, and I don't want to give it away. But things get weird when she sends a text message or a video message to her sister again, and her sister gets it and replies almost immediately. And that sends her in a, like, a what? What? How, how is it so... What? How so soon? Because it takes four years, and she gets it in 20 minutes? And she brings this to light, and then there's you know people getting knocked off on the pl- on the on the transport ship, and then there's a big big ending where they have to do something with the transport at the end and whatever, and they reveal the big twist and whatever. Right. We it's should a say Swiss movie. 
Yeah, we should add it's that just... Earth is inhabitable. It is completely yeah. useless to anybody. That's why they've gone on to other planets. Yeah. And tried to find this other planet, and they found one called Rhea. But um, have they really? Hmm? Hmm? It's, uh-huh. a Swiss, uh-huh. it's, a, it's a Swiss film, and I think it's either their first science fiction movie or it's like their first mega-budget movie. For them, like you yeah. know, 15 million might be mega or something. But Switzerland is really tiny. It's also my favorite favorite country. At least how it looks. I've been there. Again, nice. one of my little... I was a... I grew up in Europe. I've been to Switzerland <laughs> twice. Once in the winter and once in the summer. Both times beautiful. I'm so awesome. Eh, Cheers. you've been all the country. I've been all over this country. I think I've been almost to every single state now. That's mm-hmm. a side note. Yeah. Have you been to Alaska? No, I haven't been to Alaska, Hawaii, uh, Maine, and the Dakotas. And that's it. Huh. Well, dang. I kind of envy you. All right. I don't because you're bald. I'm joking! Ha <laughs> ha jerk! I'm joking. He is, but I mean, it's not by choice. Yeah, but you're in Tennessee, so... No, actually, I like Tennessee. I like Gatlinburg and... <laughs> well, um, our next podcast is going to be road trips because I'm going on a big old road trip to Texas where I'm moving. So. Yay! Yeah, you gotta get a you gotta get a ten gallon hat and some big old boots, big old buckle. It says buddies. Not the buckle. Oh no. So, cargo. I I recommend cargo as a. It's not the greatest. It's far from the worst. It's adequate, and it's it's a possible. You know, when I was younger, we watched stuff on, or I I did, on Saturdays. Yeah. Saturday Saturday afternoons. Like two or three in the afternoon, you would just put something on or something would be on, and you change a channel to it and just kind of stick with it. Drift, you know, it's you also a good sign it, of yeah. what Swiss film has coming. If if they can stay along that line, they may actually be a force to contend with in the future with sci-fi movies or and it's genre, a future, genre movies in general. Yeah, it's a future realism movie too, in which um, Alien started this. Actually, you could say Star Wars started it. But um, Star Wars started the inhabited land where everything looks lived in. Right. And then Alien took everything from that, the lived inness, and took it Made to it this moist. French design, this, this European Slightly European sticky. design. You're all talking all about all the steam, right? <laughs> on everything in Alien. Um, yeah. But uh, a- Alien, we have other movies on here too that follow this. There's two in a row here that we're going to talk about later. That have it, and um, I, in fact, the next one also has it, but it's a bit different. It's called Dante Zero One, and I did not I get around t- to watching Dante Zero One, so I saw the trailer. But go ahead and we can go ahead with that one. It's a it's a French film, and it is directed by the co co directors of uh, of Delicatessen and City of Lost Children. His name is Marc Caro. So yeah. there's Jean Pierre Jeunet who did Amelie, and he mm-hmm. works closely with. Mark Caro. Mark Caro is his visual designer, usually. Um, but he's also a music video director and so on. Now, this movie, Dante Zero One, is very much a Christ allegory done by way of metal or heavy metal. Yeah. That's, so, that's interesting. Why, does it, why do you feel it's that way? Oh, because... They, well, it's a prison... It's a prison space station. Most of these are space station type movies, by the way. 
That's, hey, hold on a second. You know what? I had an idea for on. an episode. What? I had an idea for an episode in the future where we talk about prison movies, like the Escape From movies, Lockout, Death Warrant. Yeah. Why don't we save this one for that? If it's a prison movie, I didn't realize it was a prison movie. Yeah, it's a prison movie. Well, All totally right, well, it's a, yeah, Space Station, prison movie. It's neat. It's also weird, hard to follow, but we'll get into that later. Um, not really hard to follow. Banding is the thing. Okay, next one, though. It's another Corman movie, I think. I thought you were going to nix these, but is Galaxy of Terror... Galaxy of Terror Corman. is, okay, so that's the only one I took. It is a Corman movie. I took the rest out because we were talking about doing an episode where uh, it was like cliffhangers and the movies that ripped them off, or, yeah. or at least inspired by. Galaxy Quest is not inspired by Star Wars. It's inspired by Alien, and that's why I felt like Star- throwing it in. Oh, no, 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 no. Galaxy of Terror. Galaxy Quest is inspired by Star Trek. You just said Quest. Wait, um, I thought you said... Oh, did I say Galaxy Quest? Dang it. Well, I have them on my page yeah. here next to each other. Yeah, Whoops. yeah it's, all right. it's all right. It's all right. It's all right. <laughs> yeah, Galaxy no of Terror is more of a, a, a I hate to rip-off because it's, it's... It's it's a knockoff. It is. It's, yeah. It's a, it's a by-the-numbers knockoff of... Well, it started in Italy a long, long time ago with Planet of the Vampires. Right. That's when it started. A but, derelict spacecraft... But and he didn't greenlight it because of that. He greenlit it because no. Alien made a crap ton right. of cash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the the derelict spacecraft, the science uh, team, the hero guys drop by, and and then all hell breaks loose because of it. That is the template from Planet of the Vampires, which is an Italian film. And then, what's his name? It's not Rob Botton. What's his, the the guy who wrote Aliens? He also worked on Dark Star. Oh, uh, Dan O'Bannon. Dan O'Bannon, okay. And Return of the Living Dead. Okay, so of... Dan O'Bannon got inspired by stuff that he had been seeing. And Mm -hmm. he had had this... One of those things is Planet of the Vampires. But, uh, and then Alien. And then from Alien, everybody's familiar with Alien, you have all these knockoffs. Italian knockoffs, again... They're the masters, uh, the masters of ripping off a movie and yet not really making it all that entertaining. <laughs> no. And then, this movie. Prepare yourself for the ultimate battle. Galaxy of Terror. Hell has just been relocated. It orbits a burned out star at the edge of the galaxy. It's been waiting a billion years to scare you to death. <laughs> Trap. In a living maze of terror. Are the odds of us getting out of here? Where are the odds? Stranded astronauts Edward Albert and Aaron Moran battle hordes of hideous shadow demons, encounter the razor-sharp living glass, brave the pit of doomed souls, just to discover the only way out is death. <laughs> Space. Roger Corman did two of them. He did Forbidden Planet, right? Uh, Forbidden World. Um, he World. did, which I think kind of sucks. And then there was Inseminoid, which is a British ripoff. It sucks. Uh, Contamination, uh, Italian ripoff. Extro. It, yeah, Extro. Extro isn't quite, but Extro is freaky. Yeah. So that should be talked about. The only one day. that I can even somewhat recommend is Galaxy of Terror, and there's a reason. More than just the fact that uh, he spent more money than usual on the special effects 
you know, there is a, a really cool, it, yes, it does look kind of murky and dark, but the stuff he did with it um, is primarily because James Cameron was like the visual consultant designer on this movie. So he created some really odd imagery. And um, the fact that it, it it's a planet that uh, controls you through your nightmares. What you fear most, your fear, is what it manifests. Like if you're afraid of bugs, it's going to create a giant bug monster. If it you know, creates the fact that you're afraid of your own huh. weapon. You know, there's the stuff like that in the cast. The cast is really interesting because, you know, there's Ray... Who, who named the cast? Ray mm-hmm. Walston, uh, Robert England. I never get the name right. Eddie Albert, I want to say Junior? I think he was the son? Yes, of, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Uh, he was the son. Uh, Grace Zabritsky. Oh, yeah. Sid Haig. Grace Zabritsky. Uh, Sid Haig. What? Yeah. Well, you keep... What? No, 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 no. I, I, was, I thought you were going to miss Grace Zabriskie. No. She's a Twin Peaks hero, so that's that's all. You can't you can't leave her out. And but it's okay. What's what's her name um, from the sitcom? Yeah, Happy it? Days. Uh, you know, Joni Loves Chachi. Yeah, it's so strange that she's even in this movie. That's the weirdest bit of casting, and I think the only reason she is in it is because she was just coming off Happy Days. She had some cachet, some sellable value. Like, Eddie Albert's the star and mm-hmm. but she's thrown in there i think just to get more funding or more promotion and she's completely miscast she does not belong in the movie at all <laughs> she's one of those things where you just sit there going why why couldn't they find somebody else why are, yeah and of why course it, it is this? exploitation they have a thing where and as detestable as it is they have a, a, a sex scene rape scene whatever with a giant creature a slug monster and this woman which fast forward through that because it's stupid and it's gross and uh you know, there's lots of gold. The, okay, the the um, forbidden planet, forbidden what world? Forbidden world. That is- has that has more quote unquote satisfactory uh, exploitation lady scenes than this movie does. Right. But um, but those are totally tailor made for the drive-in <laughs> audience. Right. Yeah, uh, Forbidden Grand House. Yeah, Forbidden World. Is that's not totally exploitation. Galaxy Quest seems like it yeah. wants to. Or Galaxy, I did it again. Galaxy of Terror seems like it wants to be more than what Roger Corman wanted it to be. Like, I don't know. It seems like it's trying bigger ideas and odd concepts. I'm not going to say it's a groundbreaking movie by any means. But there's stuff in there that makes well, you go, Well, it, it seems like it informed uh, um, Event Horizon. Yeah. And it's like world when building, When you're talking too. about the nightmares of the people. Right. The whole fact that know. it starts off with this mythology of the Game Master and how he controls certain things in the world... That it's like, wait a minute, what? That's that's interesting. You're, you're you're building like this mythology in this world beyond what we're seeing right here in the contents of the. You know, like, what's in that ninety minutes? It seems like there's story before and afterwards that we never get to see. Right. So yeah. that was an interesting ta- uh, take on it. It's the only Roger Corman movie uh, of that era that had like the whole full on exploitation thing that I can really recommend. Yeah, uh, I'm not big on Corman. I like Battle Beyond the Stars quite a bit, but I wouldn't consider it an exploitation film. Right, right. Uh, next, we have the one that you keep mentioning, because it's just in line, Galaxy Quest. Have a listen. In the far reaches of the galaxy, a civilization is under siege. We are all that is left. They've searched the universe for a leader. Stay tuned for scenes from next week's Galaxy Quest. Never give up. Never surrender. He will save us. What they got. Never give up. And never surrender. We're struggling TV actors. You are all I 
must help. Where's my limo? Okie dokie. And they're about to put on a command performance. Eight million light years away. We are actors, not astronauts. You are our protectors. Now, acting like heroes. The whole thing was just a misunderstanding. May not be enough. DreamWorks Pictures presents Tim Allen, Sigourney Weaver, Alan Rickman, Galaxy Quest. You're just gonna have to kill it. We'll go for the mouth to throw his vulnerable spots. It's a rocket that not any vulnerable spots. Okay, so of all the movies on this list, this is my favorite one. Your favorite one? I have so much love for this movie. Let's, let's see. Uh, let's, I think the reason I'm, I'm looking at the list real quick. Let me let me overlook it. You can you can talk. Chatter, yeah. chatter on. Okay, Galaxy Quest. The reason it works for me is because it's a comedy that still respects its original source. It has love for the fans of Star Trek, so it's not going to insult them. Except it kind of does. And... It kind of does, but it brings it back around. Um, yeah, you're right. Just, you're right. Not... It is the most enjoyable movie on this list. Harold Ramis was originally offered this movie, and after the producers talked to him, they realized that he wanted to play it straight up as a mocking the fans of Star Trek, that it's going to be a full parody, and they were smart enough to pull back and hire somebody out of nowhere. Dean... Dean Pariseau yeah. had only ever done Home Fries and some TV. I thought he did th- Home gave- Fries after this, but... No, he did it right before. Right before? The year before. Okay, well, the yep. Home Fries, which is notable for being sort of a own... Uh, uh, the the what's I was gonna call them own brothers Luke Wilson the Wilson brothers a Wilson brothers bottle rocket light so but right. I really liked how he handled that movie and this movie actually for the most part ah the bad guy still is designed like it came out of a creature shop or something so it doesn't necessarily look like it looks a bit cartoony. But the right, well, I think it's kind of the yeah. tone, uh, the look, the design on his character is really interesting. Though Stan Winston did a good job on bringing something you had never really seen the, before. Those weird things, the antenna things. The good bit. guys, when they're revealed, their alien forms. Those are the ones that I actually am all about. I love yeah, those guys. That's crazy good. There's their yeah. squid, uh, octopus, scuttlefish people, whatever. Um, amazing, <laughs> amazing character design and all that stuff in comparison to the other thing the other thing seems more like mom and dad saved the world uh silliness oh my god we forgot mom and dad saved the world i love that movie forget it we didn't forget it oh that's gonna be on the cliffhanger that's gonna be on the cliffhanger it's flash gordon and it's a lampoon of flash gordon so anyway yeah uh galaxy quest um basically is uh what it's um three amigos in space it is Three Amigos, and it's, it's a concept that's actually been used a couple more times. It was uh, copied for this, and it was also copied for Tropic Thunder. I feel like there's another one. Yeah, it's a stole Bruce Gamble. Yeah, Bruce Gamble movie. What, what one? Oh, uh, he fights some Asian... It's supposed to be an Evil Dead joke. Oh, yeah, yeah, the Bruce Campbell versus Evil or something. My name no, is Bruce. I don't know. My name is Bruce. You're correct. I forgot about yeah, that one. Yeah, so it's it's people assume that the characters that they're watching on TV are actually real, and so they hire they don't hire them. They coerce them into fighting the battle for them because they think it's all real, but it's not. But these silly, dumb cartoon character heroes are actually 
going to be heroes. They have to be heroes or else. So, Galaxy Quest is great. It really is. Yeah, Alan Rickman. Getting Alan Rickman back, who hadn't acted outside of Dogma in years. Like I, I feel like he hadn't done anything in like four or five years. If it was, it was like small independent stuff. UK, and whatever. bringing him back. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, uh, Enrico Colantani's uh, interpretation of the character is so bizarre. It's so Do unique. Do they have those guys? Uh, help. Yeah. Um, they're like this. Yeah. Uh, it has, uh, oh, name the actors. Tim Allen. You wouldn't expect Tim Allen to be in something of this quality. No disrespect yeah. to Tim Allen, but this is the time in his career in which he decided, I have to do better. And he did better by this movie and a couple of others. And um, Sigourney Weaver, Tony Shalhoub, who else? Spot on. He's so good in that movie. Uh, 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 I said John Stockwell. That's not right. Um, why would I remember the name? You know, he's uh, in Iron Man too. Yeah, the villain. What the hell's his Sam name? Sam Rockwell. Cowboys and Aliens. Sam Rockwell. What? It's John Stockwell. Sam Rockwell. We should put them in the movie together. <laughs> uh, Stock and Rock. Oh uh, who else is in that movie? Missy Pyle. Yeah, that's in that who movie. I was She's wanting really to say. I love Missy Pyle. I love Missy Pyle in just about everything she does. Missy Pyle is and awesome, including Darryl including Jill the worst, Mitchell. absolute worst, stupid, terrible, cash in piece of crap. Josie the Pussycats. Missy Pyle is the only good thing about it. You don't like that I, movie? I love that oh, movie. Seriously, I like Rachel. Lee, I, <laughs> I like, I like Rachel Lee Cook. I don't like that movie, and I like Missy Pyle. So. Okay, so, and here's the thing is, Daryl Chill Mitchell got into an accident soon after this, and he's actually still crippled to this day. Who? Which is kind of, Daryl Chill Mitchell. He's the young guy who uh, was the pilot. He's like the protege. He was on, like, he was on Galaxy Quest when he was like 12. Oh, really? And they bring him back. Yeah. He got in a horrible accident afterwards, and it like broke his back, mm. and he can't walk anymore. That's why you haven't seen him. He was awesome. Yeah. I mean, he showed up in Ed for a while. He's, and a he's couple like other yelling things. his oh. head off in this movie, and it's awesome, and he's like freaking out. It's so good. <laughs> this is one of those movies I really, really wanted a sequel to for a long time, and it never happened. But now I sit with it and go, and you know what? It's perfect as it is. It has a complete story. Yep. It doesn't need to continue. Yep. They do have a comic book, though, that continues afterwards, nah. but nah. I've never read it. I so. wouldn't go near it. Oh, I forgot. This is the first time anybody ever saw Justin Long. Is it the first? I guess, maybe. I, it's the first I time he, I saw I him. I was totally annoyed yeah. by him, but for a good reason. He's an annoying <laughs> character. Um but that's that goes with the Star Trek fan. Um, I, and I say, I say, I never give up, never surrender, all the time, all the time. You're such a nerd. I am. I love it, but it's so positive. Too. All right, enough gushing about Galaxy Quest, everybody. <laughs> yeah, we we love Galaxy <laughs> Quest. I also like Mars. No, I don't like Mars Attacks. This is the lead. This I is the lead in. Attacks. This is the lead into Iron Sky. But Mars Attacks missed the mark. Entirely, it's just—it's good and it's bad. It's—I uh, it's, it's can't even. I've seen it. I saw it in the theater. I tried to champion thing the thing. I had the cards. Uh, I sold the cards because of some stupid. Never mind. But um, that movie had too many characters sprawled out. Oh my god! It had so many. It's like it's a mad, 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 mad world, but with aliens. yeah, and it didn't have focus, and it didn't go all out with the mayhem. But with Iron Sky, well, just have a listen. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, the day we have been expecting is fast drawing near. Whilst we have been going about our respectable lives, those with sick and depraved minds have been building their armies and constructing their story. 
a preposterous story that will attempt to redefine history and dazzle the world with mind-blowing special effects. What is this device? Oh, that's my uh, kick-ass computer. That is not a computer. This is a computer. I think you know what I'm talking about, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. mother <laughs> space Nazis in a film called Iron Sky. Is that how it ends? Just kind of tapers off. <laughs> yeah, uh, that that's actually a, a trailer for um, um, that they made for the first showing of it in Berlin. Uh, uh, and I, I I edited some stuff and okay. All right, Iron Sky. So Iron Sky seems to be um, conceptually very much like what Mars Attacks was, or um, a little bit of Sky Captain too. I feel it's a little well, Sky Captain. Well, well, I'm, I'm just talking about the simple concept concept of Nazi Nazis on the moon equals Martians coming to attack us. Right, uh, and it it delivers on it. It does. It really it's, does. It's a little long. I thought. I think they could have. Oh, uh, did it a you watch bit. Di- director's cut? Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. yeah the director's cut is is really really long in the tooth. Not sure why director's cuts always have. To yeah, be. I know. Why does it just cut differently? Strange. Or why yeah. aren't the scenes important? No, it's just like excessive. More, yeah, more, more economic, more efficient. Um, but uh, I really like uh, Washington in this. He's he is a black supermodel who's sent to the moon as a PR face for a Sarah Palin-like president of the United <laughs> States, and he's kind of clumsy. He's really actually quite quick-witted. And he's resourceful, um, and a lot of that still does have to play on, on his charm. But he he is he's uh, abducted by the Nazis on the moon. Now this was directed by uh, some folks who made this Star Trek spoof. We talked about Galaxy Quest. They right. did something called uh, Star Wreck. Oh, you know, I see that from here and there, and I don't know what that is. That's from and those that's, guys? That's from those guys. That's what they did first in, like, the early 2000s, 2004 or five. Is it any good? Uh, probably not. And it's in, <laughs> it's in Danish or Swedish or something, so okay, I okay. lost the translation humor stuff. But, um, well, growing up over in Holland and Italy, especially in Holland, uh, we got German TV. Science fiction was very big, especially Star Trek. So that stuff is very influential over the, the, you know, Germanic and Norse and all that. They love that stuff. And so that's what these guys set out to do with the, the Star Wreck. And then they decided, hey, let's do another thing. And that was Iron Sky, and it was crowdfunded. Now we got Iron Sky 2 coming. Coming. And that's called The Coming Race. And that actually has to do with another theory because you know this was actually a theory that there were nazis on the dark side of the moon <laughs> this is some 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 crazy conspiracy theory nazis on the dark side of the moon um but this new uh, sequel is nazis in the earth I like earth core in, it's the, the the hollow earth theory the vril and all that um lizard people and in the trailer for the sequel, Hitler is alive and well, riding a Tyrannosaurus. Wow, Rex! That I yeah. was, I was so, going to see that. Yeah, it's it's this. So this is what you're getting into. If you saw Mars Attacks and thought that it was just kind of eh, watch 
get on Netflix and watch Iron Sky, and it'll, especially with the technology upgrades and everything, with computer special effects, it gets better and better. The director's cut, I would say, is only for me. <laughs> people like people like me who, who will uh, and are willing to sit through just to see the extra little bits that they throw in and pad out uh, otherwise efficient story. So, yeah. It's also very satirical against the, the governments of... Yeah. And who doesn't who doesn't hate Nazis? Nazis are the greatest villain of all time. I don't I can't imagine any other villain that has like you no know, like oh time has kind of changed things. You know how like the Indians were kind of considered like the big villain during the forties and fifties. Yeah. And then all of a sudden times changed. Like oh we were more of the villains. Ooh, uh, yeah, crap. we're totally soldier blue. Yeah. Come on. And then you know the Russians. The Russians have changed. Nazis never changed. They're always just jerks, and we always love to see them get destroyed. <laughs> Speaking of the Russians. The Russians have recently come out and said, We will expose your UFOs! Yeah, which... USA? No idea what they're talking about. They have all these redacted or, or like, spy information about America, withholding information about all ver- a variety of conspiracies. Stupid. Some of that has to do with UFOs. So, um... Next! That was that. Okay, this one. In space! Monsters in space! Alright, have a listen to this. In the year 2455, on a routine training mission, a team of students is about to discover a life form frozen in time. Wow. They're on their way back. Prepare for docking and power up the lab. You brought them on board? Everything's under control, man. What the hell is going on? Jason Voorhees, that's what's going on. He's an unstoppable killing machine. It's okay, he just wanted his machete back. How do we get off the ship? I don't know. Look, we're gonna be all right. What, are you high? Uh Uh-oh. He's here. You have got to get them out of there. I think we're finally okay. What the hell is that? You've got to be kidding me. Oh, wow. It's been modified. Oh, you think? You guys might want to run. Jason X. I don't think he's out there. Why don't you just stick your head out and have a peek? All right, so... How'd you like that? Jason X, the okay. The body's at the flow. The body's <laughs> at the flow. With the body. Stupid. All right, so there was a trend in the 90s where they decided, you know, these franchises are starting to die out. Or they need some new life injected into them. So we're going to send them to space. How many times did they do this? They did Leprechaun Hellraiser Bloodline. Yeah, Hellraiser, Hellraiser Bloodline, Leprechaun, Jason, and... I feel like there was they a... sent critters back into space. This is true. Um, they never did Michael Myers in space. They never did Freddy mm-hmm. in space, which wouldn't even make sense. But they decided Jason needed to go into the future and... Space. Every solar system has an Elm Street. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, I actually enjoy Jason X. I know it's not a good movie by any means. All but right. if you were Jason to love X, out all the Jason movies, it's kind of... I kind of hold a little let's get it out. Let's get it out of the way. Jason X is really dorky and hokey, and it reeks of Canadian yes. production value. So it reeks of the Canada thing. 
And not all Canada is terrible. I mean, we have so many Canadian exports as far as our actors go that we love and cherish. But but this movie's production value is really, really reek of the production value of like maybe the higher budget sci-fi network. Yes, yeah, sci-fi yeah, yeah. channel stuff. So. Well, you know what's funny is this movie sat on the shelf for almost two years because New Line Cinema was actually out of money. They'd spent everything on the Lord of the Rings movies, and they didn't have the time or the money to finish it off. So it sat there and sat there and sat there until they finally completed all three Lord of the Rings movies. and they Or not all three Lord of the Rings, I'm sorry, the first Lord of the Rings movie, and they finally had enough money to finish it off and dumped it uh, against Scorpion King, and it got trounced. Just absolutely murdered. Yeah, because Scorpion King's so good. Yeah, but it was a hot... In fact, this is so much better than Scorpion King. It actually is. It's a lot more satisfying. It's so... Because it knows what it it is, and is as cheesy... It does, actually. As cheesy and low-budget as it is, the guys who made it loved it. You could tell they loved what they were doing. They're... Okay, so when you watch a a Jason Voorhees movie, uh, after the first two... It begin it begins to be like the kills are the punchlines. Yeah, and they honor that system. They in fact the bring ju- back one of the greatest kills, just yeah, as a and joke. It's insane. The sleeping it's bag. An, it, it's, it's really funny. Funny scene in this movie is the sleeping bag. It's so funny. They try to tempt they, these these hologram chicks. Try to tempt him. Hologram chicks. What are we talking about? <laughs> so the synopsis, real quick. If we can, uh, archaeological students find this uh, Titan find, and it's um, in this uninhabited Earth. I guess that's a future thing. Yeah. Uh, and they find uh, Crystal Lake, and what the heck is it? Oh, it's uh, remains of J- Jason Voorhees, and then they bring him on board, and then nanotechnology gets involved and upgrades him, and he goes on a killing spree, at which point it mimics a lot of alien. Yes, it does, but at the same time, it has kind of like, you know, it, it still keeps to the Jason style, I guess, hmm. setting up stupid it mimics, people. Who... It mimics a lot of Alien in the whole sneaking around a spaceship, and what's the monster around the corner? Oh, it's not there, oh, it is there, and whatever. But all the kills are still set up Yeah, very very much on the, the punchline system. Oh, someone had from... sex, time to kill him. Oh, someone's doing some yeah. sort of drug or bad behavior, time to kill him. You know, that kind of yeah. stuff. And the and kills are a little more. The kills are a little more elaborate. I gotta say the the Jason takes Manhattan and Jason goes to hell were awful. They were not even trying. The budgets were so low, and the directors wait had no. no goes goes to hell actually did try, and it actually looked good. It was just a weird. I don't weird, know. I thought it ripped story. off the hidden. It just felt like a rip off of the hidden. Just you know maybe. But Maybe. yeah, I actually enjoy Jason. It goes to hell. It's not a good movie, but, but it's it's a fun Manhattan's movie. terrible. Yeah, it's awful. Ugh. I can't. I hate Manhattan. But Jason X, Jason in space. I was going to today before you 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 got me to do this podcast. Got me. You got me. I forced to do it. Too. Yeah, twisted my arm. Do it now. Um, I was gonna watch Dracula three thousand. Oh, I totally forgot about that one. I was going to bear with it, and that's a two thousands movie. It's not a nineties movie. Yeah, Casper Van Dien. And Coolio as 187. Because 187 is totally his IQ number. Not because we're racist. That's actually what they say in the movie. Not the racist part, but they are totally racist. Um, But anyway, uh, yeah. Dracula 3000, 
We can't do any. I can't do any of the space movies and the monsters in space unless they're an actual space monster. Yeah. Except yeah. Jason, this Jason Voorhees thing is actually really a, an, an oddity. It's the exception to the rule, I, su- I suppose. All right. What's next? Super super silly. Uh, the next one. Oh, the, I'm a, we're just going to talk about two of them. Okay. Uh, first one though, last days on Mars. Zombies in space, basically, but smarter. A smarter movie than I expected. Yeah, check the trailer. Please respond. Mr. Control, this is Chief Systems Officer Vincent Campbell speaking. Ten things about Mars you won't miss when you're back on Earth. Only ten? Tomorrow is our last day. But I don't know if we're going to make it home. What happened in there? You found something, sir. This discovery changes everything. Entire crews infected by some sort of bacteria. Something horrible happened here. Please respond. The last days on Mars. Leonard Nimoy just died. Say that again. As we're recording this, Leonard Nimoy just died. He just died. Leonard when did he Nimoy just like, died. I mean, why? I'm sorry. Just died. Information is scrambled and weird in my head. What happened? As we're recording this episode, Leonard Nimoy, he was sick in the hospital with heart and breathing problems, and he passed away. Wow, this is weird. What are the chances of us doing a science, uh, doing yeah. an episode This is uh, about space? Wow. You know the phrase, long live the king, or like, the king is dead, long live the king? No kidding. Well, Leonard Nimoy is dead. Live long and prosper. Yeah. Solidarity, holding the hand out. You can't see it, but yeah. Wow. Alright, so that's a downer moment. Uh, I don't know. Sit with us for a second. I mean, we didn't want to talk about the Star Trek movies and Star Wars movies because they're so obvious. Because they're so obvious. But, but would any of these movies really be greenlit if it wasn't for those two franchises? And would Star Wars really exist without Star Trek? Not in the way that it did. Inform- I, don't think, I don't think a stu- Yeah, I think a studio wouldn't have financed it because Star Trek was on the rise by the mid-70s. Star Trek was on the rise because of reruns. That, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then all the fan stuff, all the all the the conventions, they had Star Trek conventions straight up, not just comic conventions. And I never really cared for Kirk. Kirk always seemed kind of empty-souled, you know? Just like he's a man of action, wants to get laid, have adventures. Spock was... I, I, okay, here's my, my story about Star Trek. When I grew up again, dang it, this is not just about me, all right? And it wasn't... Okay. I was just a child. I was just a child. I had no choices where I grew up. Um, it was Holland, but we watched German television and Star Trek was on. And I would always watch it in German and my mom would narrate or summarize what was happening. So it'd be like, Spock, ich hab keine Ahnung. Was ist los, Captain? Herr Kapitan. You know. Stuff like that. And um, so when we moved here in 85... Summer of 85, Star Trek was still being rerun. And when we got settled, we started watching Star Trek in English. And it blew my mind. Huh. Because I had seen a lot of these episodes in German, and it looks the same, but you don't get the Kirk's delivery the same exact kind of way, or the stoicism of Spock. You don't get that, but you do in English, obviously. So, that's that's my experience in 85 is when I fully experienced Star Trek, the old TV show. 
Yeah. My first experience was uh, the second movie. Uh, I had never seen the first one. Watched the second one. Of course, grossed out by the worm ear things. Yeah. But uh, when Spock died at the end, uh, that's the first time I think I ever saw a death in a movie that mattered. And I just like zapping a stormtrooper and that was it. It was one where someone sacrificed himself for the greater good. And it was just weird seeing, I, I just, I was five years old when I saw this and it just like clicked in weird. And, and then seeing him come back in the third one. Now, I don't know if people at the time thought it was a cheap cop out by bringing him back um, almost instantly in the next film. But that movie, and a lot of people think the Star Trek, thir- the third one, whatever, isn't very good, but it's it's my favorite one. And I don't know if it's because bringing him back, or that was just a highly entertaining movie, but I love that third one. When when they did bring him back in the third one and in the fourth one, he's um, learning. Yeah. And he directed the, the fourth one. Um, yeah, how, I, don't, I still don't know how he ended up even getting the fourth one. Was that part of his contract? He's like, hey, you want me to continue with this? You let me direct it? Or Probably. Did he, pro- did he prove his chops on something else? Because... He did an amazing job on the fourth one, and... The fourth one is a full-on comedy. It with, is, and with, he took it in a different direction re- he never expected. It's got, with really serious science fiction moments, an element bookending it, but inside, the, the between the bookends, it's an incredibly well-paced and well-done comedy. I mean, yeah. uh, fish out of water story, and it jokes on America's culture at the time, um... And he's big part of it, and he's he's actually subtly a big part of it. It's more the overt stuff has to do with the rest of the cast. That's actually, I think, what's the greatest thing about it is that he um, delegated a lot of everything to everybody else. Not just because he's a director, he's going to be which a vanity the, director. No, he's yeah. Which is the problem with the fifth one? William Shatner made it a vanity project. I he I'm, probably, no. He didn't quite... The studio didn't want him to fe- actually meet God. So there was a lot of rewrites on the fly. Okay. So he had to meet giant know. giant floating fake Godhead in the sky. Not actual God. Right. So I can't poop on Shatner totally on that one. Poop on the studio totally for that one. <laughs> Yeah, but, but uh, back to Leonard Nimoy, you know, going from that to Three Men and a Baby was kind of odd, but it, it didn't surprise you. What, he, he directed that? Him. Yeah, he, he directed Three Men and a Baby, so he could handle an ensemble, he could handle comedy. Then after that, the next two movies stunk. Mm. Uh, Funny About Love is awful, and Holy Matrimony was awful, and then he just stopped. Yeah, he and, focused uh, on taking photos of naked ladies. Art photos, by the way. None of this smut. But black and white, really solid photography. Well, you know, I, I think we've said, wow, I, it's hard to keep going. But, you know, it, it's, it's an odd moment where we have to stop and talk about this. I feel kind of bad that I looked while we were watching the trailer and saw that. But at the same time, what, what better moment to discuss it when we're talking about space movies and how important Star Trek was and how important he was to Star Trek. So, well, let's, it all works. Let's, let me ask you, do you, know, do you have a big vocabulary of Star Trek old episodes? Nemo no, I don't. See, don't. I was oh. more—I was more of a next generation guy. I—I I have mm. watched the original series. I think I've seen pretty much every episode, but I watched them once back in the '80s and early '90s, and that was it. I never revisited them. They never uh, really. I they... did. I did go back to some season one. I think I ended after that episode with Clint Howard, which is truly bizarre yeah. um, and unsettling watching him talk with an adult voice. <laughs> but uh, for the most part, though, I was more of a next generation guy. I was more of a Picard than a Kirk. 
My wife nicknamed me Landrew because my name's Andrew. And there's an episode with with a with an overlord character named Landrew, and he decrees, you know, there's this 12-hour period or something in which everybody can go about causing mayhem. I think it's really weird that she calls me Landrew because I'm very very not much, very much not a mayhem kind of guy. But um, I was just wondering, just to try to segue, are there any Star Trek episodes that are kind of zombie in nature? No. Um, there's the one where they go mad, of course, but I don't remember anything where they were uh, zombies. But we're recording all this right now. We're keeping all this in the episode. Mm-hmm. I know. So let's uh, let's. We just played the trailer for Last Days on Mars before I did the whole Nimoy thing. So. Um, that's why. Like I, that. That's why I was mentioning zombie to try to try to bring it back around. Yeah. Because that's what. Yeah, well, that's what um, Last Days on Mars really is. It's a zombie movie. On Mars. It is. But it's a smarter zombie movie, and I see spend more time with the characters. So when the zombie thing reveals itself, it actually takes it actually takes a little while to tell you it's a zombie. Yeah. Because for a while you're just trying to figure out what is going on here, what is wrong with this person, you know? And then slowly you realize, oh, they're not just like crazy and saying they are a zombie. When and... I when I first saw the trailer for it, um, yeah. one I, I saw the design of everything. I love it. That's the future realism. That's actually future realism now. Yeah. Current version of future future realism is a bit better looking than it was in Alien. In Alien, everything's grimy. In this, it's a lot more um, molded plastic, I suppose. You can't have that much steam. You can't have that much water around electronics in space. It's so bizarre that they constantly focus on that for ten years. Yeah. Oh, okay, so Last Days on Mars. I think it's weird that it's a universal picture, but they sold it to Magnolia. That's now, why it... Oh my gosh, what the heck? They, that's that why it, it looks the way it does, because it has yeah. money behind it. Right, but I think it's the Mars curse. You cannot seem to make a movie about Mars that goes well, either financially or uh, critically. People and don't last care. Days, People don't right, care. something about Mars, they're like, eh, we had Total Recall, we're good with that. We don't want anything else. <laughs> right, and Total Recall wasn't exactly um, pushing itself as, get your ass to Mars, even though that's a yeah. big quote. Uh, uh, yeah, last... It was pushing itself as like a Schwarzenegger vehicle. Not a Mars True. vehicle. So, um, when Last Days of Mars came out, hot on the heels or right before it came, uh, Europa Report, which is, you, you you got a little sleepy during this, and I totally I did, understand. I could barely. Did you finish I, it? I, I finished it, but I didn't care. By okay. then, I was just like, oh, God, end it now. All right, but the, the end does actually have a payoff. Um, yes, but I have a thing with shaky cam. I do not like found footage. I don't like shaky cam. It always makes me want to throw up. So therefore, mm-hmm. I'm listening. I'm not really watching. Okay, okay. Well, there are some visual things at the end of it. Um, but uh, out of the two that came out, Last Days on Mars is superior. Europa Report is still quality. It's high quality. It's got some great actors in it. Um, and it is shot as if it's a we're docu- uh, like a documentary shooting the people going to Europa, the moon of Jupiter. Right. It's like watching security cameras, which I do all day long. So. <laughs> Again, it's while like, your brain oh, wow. shuts off. I get it. Okay. So, of, of those two, I would say Last Days of Mars. Um, but uh, the next one, which is another one that you kind of squeaked through, uh, is Apollo 18. Now, just have a listen. Okay, 18, you are go for landing. We're go for the moon. Beautiful, isn't it? This mission will mark the first use of the exterior motion sensor cameras. 
on the ridge, 10 o'clock. We found a Soviet helmet and are now following what appear to be tracks made by a possible Soviet cosmonaut. Why didn't we know about this? DOD has clear signals on both transmitters. Your mission is complete. What the hell was that? Something else out here. Something's moving. Set inside my suit. I can't get it off! It's my helmet! Apollo 18. Did you add Apollo 18 at the end Yes, there? I did. Uh, you also missed me saying, Jason X. Uh, oh, I did. <laughs> uh, Apollo 18, expected to be huge. Dimension released it uh, Labor Day weekend, what, like three years ago? It was expected in December, this? though. It no, wasn't, wait, it wasn't in December. It came out on video in December. Whatever. Right, it was either Labor Day or the week after that, and they thought it was going to be a big movie, and it made $18 million, and I watched it, and I go, that was actually generous. $18 million for this boring, boring... Smooth. Ah! You, you and your popcorn munching mouth. Listen, listen, the thing was made in one month, and under one month. It came in under budget, not because, oh, you know, it's obvious it looks under budget. No, it's under a premise of why uh, we never went back to the moon. Because we did go back to the moon. Apollo 18. Bugs. It's Monsters. Bugs. Space bugs. Space bugs, yeah. Space bugs. Basically, space bugs and non-intelligent aliens. Um, not even, like, giant aliens, either. Not like our, our xenomorphs. But just some sort of, uh, like, I don't know, space crab? Space spiders? Or something? Um... Well, what I like about this is actually how it looks. How everything looks. It looks authentic, that's for sure. They Holy really, smokes. really made everything look authentic. They got actors that looked the part. They gave them all, like, odd sideburns because it's, like, 1974 <laughs> or something. Uh, 72, I don't remember. But um, I have it on, on Blu-ray. I like things that are actually, like, thought out in that sense. Uh, I can understand why you would love, but I I do like watching documentaries myself. Yeah, it's kind of rough. So, it has to be some, a really good hook for me to watch a documentary. So, I like watching documentaries and, and stuff like this. So, so, it feels like a documentary, and it feels like uh, an exposure to uh, hidden conspiracy stuff that our government has swept under the rug sort of thing. Uh, and that's actually pretty much why I like the film. I can totally understand why you wouldn't like it. It's not a movie it, for everybody. Yeah, and it's it was a hard also, movie to sell in the theater, man. It was, it to was a tiniest budget movie. It, it For that, it's so successful to me. For I, I don't care how much money a movie makes in, in the box office. I care about the product. What I yeah, I think they sold it. Or whatever. I just it, think they just sold the movie strange. wrong. You know, Probably. I think they should have sold it on the independent scene. They should have, yeah, done done a festival circuit and then video on demand stuff and pushed yeah. it. Maybe, maybe uh, who who put it out? Dimension. Maybe they should have sold it to to Magnolia. What's next? Well, the next one is uh, I don't know if I like this movie or not. Which movie? Um, it's it's another one of those future realism movies. It is Moon Forty Four. Okay, Here, that's my selection. Yeah, <laughs> it's yours. Uh, listen to the trailer, if you would. The year 2038. A world of intergalactic corporations locked in ruthless rivalry. A world of desperate technologies competing for shrinking resources. You're an ex-fighter pilot. You're some kind of tough guy. Shut up! One man's courage triumphs over savagery and greed. 
Our defense system is based on the perfect interaction of pilot and navigator. Damn it up! Than a skinny butts Your life depends upon you listening to these guys. A world of struggle, of fear, and of hope. The plan will never work. Prisoners come a hell of a lot cheaper than pilots. Yeah, well, our lives depend upon those people. That was murder. Got these we don't fly, and I ain't going back to prison. You're fighting! In the outer zone, you need a friend. Bandits approaching quickly. <laughs> Lisa Eichhorn, Malcolm McDowell. Michael Paré, in a Roland Emmerich film, Moon 44. Uh, what I think weird is about that trailer is that Michael Paré is the star. He is so the star, and he's the third one named. Was Lisa Icorn a bigger star at the time? I don't even know who that is. And then Malcolm McDowell, which makes sense. And then Michael Paré, but it should be Michael Paré, Lisa Icorn, and Michael McDowell. Because Michael McDowell is in it, but he's not in a whole lot of it. So here's the thing. Moon 44. I saw this. So rapey. What's that? It's incredibly rapey. Oh, yeah, that scene, God, just, you know what, I'm not a fan of rape scenes at all. It, it only has one rape scene in it. What are you talking about? Who is fan of rape scene? I can't even say it right. No. Who was a fan of rape scenes to even say the phrase, I'm not even a fan? Are there people who are fans? Did I say I was, sure there did are. I, say I was a no, fan? No, you, oh. you said, I'm not. I'm just like, who oh. would even be? Oh. No, it's just, no. There are. I bet you there's people out there who watched exploitation movies, especially like those vigilante movies during the '70s and '80s. That uh, like, okay, we need this scene a to sell it because of nudity, and two because then it makes the hero even more like justified in his actions. Uh, yeah, whatever. You know that kind of thing. All right, so well, okay, uh, I will say the scene in this film um, does have a cause and effect in every which way. And they don't show it. Right. They do not show it. They insinuate to it that it happens. Basically, okay, here's the concept. Uh, Michael Prey is hired by, hired by this corporation. He's a cop. On he's a tour. cop who has one more... He's, it's, a, it's the cliche. He has one more sort of tour, and then he's done. And he's about to retire. And then they get him... So, th- this corporation that's on its last dime, basically. They used to be a huge corporation. Uh, they own Moon 44. And in the future, Earth has no resources. Uh, no resources whatsoever. It's been completely stripped. So massive corporations are going all over the galaxy trying to find moons and planets and stuff like that to own, take control of, and basically strip mine them and move on. And basically comes a battle out in space between these corporations because there really is no proper law. There's um, and Some corporations are, are, are pirating their materials. Um, they're stealing other corporations materials and so on so yeah moon 44 is the last thing this corporation has before they're done so they hire uh michael prey to go up there find out why their shipments are disappearing their shuttles are disappearing because they're already losing enough money they want to stop it they want to cease the bleeding and at the same time is he's not only trying to figure out where these went who was responsible for this he has to be part of a program where they're training pilots. He's undercover. Protect. He's also a crack pilot from a long time ago. So they have all these pilots, most of them prisoners. Actually, I think all of them are prisoners. All, by this all time the pilots are prisoners, all the navigators are nerds. Yeah, so basically they have no money for proper navigators, so they hire these kids because it's their first job. And they basically get prisoners because all their proper pilots are dead. 
because they still use humans, while the other corporations with more money have decided to use robots the nin- to pilot the their Nintendo ships. robot. That's what they use. They use a Nintendo. What's that Nintendo bot? What is it called? Rob the robot who played Gyromite. I wish yeah. you were filming this right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that that robot. They they. It's funny. Science fiction a long time ago. So this was 1990 or something. A long time ago, science fiction decided that if you're going to have drones, it has to have a humanoid thing in it. So these are drones flying around in these little shoebox, sort of pillbox-shaped things, shooting at uh, helicopter pilots, basically. But inside of them, the thing that controls, instead of just being a computer, like, it has to have a sort of humanoid robot inside. I say robot because it's funny. Um... To me, anyway. Michael doesn't think so. <laughs> I did not laugh. I'm just, like, thinking. Well, okay, here's the thing with podcasts. If I don't respond, a lot of times I'm not responding is because I'm playing out the podcast in my head like a chess game. I do the interviews like that. I try to figure out where the next place to go is yeah. while you're talking. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes I'm still in that yep. movement while yeah. you're, you stop talking. I'm like, yeah, you just don't podcast. think I'm funny, Michael! <laughs> like, until I right, break so- out, have a breakdown. Like right now. <laughs> now you laugh. I'm not. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, not really breaking Pete. down, guys. That's called Here's acting. Here's a virtual hug. Get off of me. Better. Get off Better? of me. Okay. All right. So, Move 44. I'm not going to say it's a fantastic movie. What it is, though, for such a tiny budget, um, it has a lot of decent special effects. And steam. But the movie isn't. The movie is a lot about steam. It really took a big <laughs> visual cue from Aliens. I mean, the movie is moist. You get kind of sweaty watching it. Yeah, every, like, yeah seriously, aren't they? Everybody's like, it's humid. I don't know, like, climate control of the future? Yeah. It's all about okay, humidity. Okay, so I have a man crush on Michael Perrin. I know you do. I have, for like the last 15 years, I have been watching all of his movies, no matter how good or bad. He was in The Virgin uh, Suicides. Virgin Suicide. Most I do not did revisit. Did you see yes, I did. I was surprised. Yes, I, did. I rewatched I it recently, and I was like, what? Michael Burr? Huh? <laughs> Are you serious? Um, Go. Okay, so Move 44 comes in a weird place in his career. He had uh, basically crashed and burned with Eddie's and the Cruisers, uh, Philadelphia Experiment, and Streets of Fire. All three... 80s? Cult fo- yeah, very 80s cult following. Then he did a TV show that bombed. You know, he lost a year and a half. What was that nights. show? Houston Nights, where he's a cop from Chicago, goes to Texas, and hangs out with Michael Beck. I don't, I don't recall it. Yeah. It was a lot like Miami Vice, just in Texas. Uh. Um, then he did Eddie and the Cruisers 2, and World Gone Wild with Bruce Dern. So he was a weird period where he was very much going straight to video or TV. Yeah. He does Moon 44. Um, $7 million in America isn't that much, but over in Germany, a $7 million movie is probably one of the biggest movies they've ever made. And it's directed by Roland Emmerich. And now it, he had done two movies before that, but both were kind of kids' movies. This is the first thing where he, well, he did like, one tried called do... Noah's Ark Principle, um, and oh. that thing is hated, and I think people like it. It's a cult film too, and you can only find barely anything on it on YouTube or anywhere. Um, hmm. I'm curious about it because it's a space film. It is a spacesuit film. Um, oh, I didn't know that. I mean, that's how he got Moon 44, because yeah. before that, I think he did, what, Ghost Chase or something? Ghost Chaser was his first American movie, and that was, yeah. like, right after uh, 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 Night of the Creeps, reteaming two of the stars from Night of the Creeps. Jason Lively You're right. and the lady, I forget her name, Jill, whatever. No. Yeah, I can't remember either. 
Okay, so Moon Forty Four. It also is the very first time he worked with Dean Devlin, and they would go on. They to were do... just. He was just directing Dean Devlin. Dean Devlin is the nerd lead, opposite right. Michael Perret's hero lead. So, um, and then two years later, we got Universal Soldier, which really launched his career. The reason I found out about Moon Forty Four in the first place is because I was reading a magazine. Uh, most of it was about Van Damme, but it generally just had stuff about movies coming out in the summer of '92 that were action oriented. Mm-hmm. And in Van Damme's interview, he said, well, this is the first movie that I've worked with a seasoned director, which isn't true, because he worked with Albert Pion, who had done, like, four movies before Cyborg. Yeah. Um, but he goes, this is the first movie that, you know, the guy before us did Moon 44, and I thought it was fantastic, so I decided to work with him. I was like, i got to find Moon 44. Oh. You know, and, yeah. I see. So I saw it after the fact. Now, in America, it's only ever been full screen. It looks like crap, because the DVD has been transferred over from the VHS. Yeah, and I found it's, a copy uh, of the in... Blu-ray, and it's it's so good looking. It looks beautiful. It has this uh, depth. Like, when you watch it on VHS or, or any, any other full screen version, it's murky. It's, ug- yeah. it's ugly. It is dank. It's always a dank film, but it really shows... And it's kind of claustrophobic because it's painted scan or something. It's kind of claustrophobically framed, and yeah, it's still a bit claustrophobic. It's just everything's widened out, and you you now notice that they actually have room to move. <laughs> and they have Leon Rippy, Leon Rippy, who did a few movies with them later. Universal Soldier, Eight Legged Freaks. He's enjoyable. He chews the scenery like crazy. Right, right, right. Uh, and then well, he, who Dean who takes the scenery and that. just gobbles it? He just got is Stephen Jeffries as the Cookie Man. Yeah. Holy smokes. Stephen Jeffries is such a weirdo. So yeah. weird. He is. I can't believe he If quit. he ever this, hears this, he... you're a weirdo, dude. And you know it. Own it. Whatever. But you're weird. Okay? He quit after this movie to go do gay porn. Yeah, I don't get it, man. So odd. I don't. Such a strange choice. Understand at all. Brian Thompson is also in this. And Brian Thompson's formidable. He's one, one of his roles in which he's actually perfectly cast. Yeah, perfect cast, and he does kind of an anti-hero. He is a prisoner, so he feels like he he starts performing like, you know... I kind of read beyond his performance. I think that he kind of saw the character as acting a certain way because he was expected to be that way. He's a big, burly guy. He's a prisoner. He needs to act super tough and rude. But at the end... His arc arc has a redemption arc. He's, in fact, one of the better characters. I actually think Michael Prey, as much as I like Michael Prey, I think his character's kind of empty. Well, he's a blank. He's who we are. Yeah, he's a blank. And, and, yeah. But... You know what's weird is, um, if things had gone a little bit better for Michael Prey, I think that he would have starred in Universal Soldier. Oh. Just, if you think about the fact that he had already worked with those guys, you know, uh, Van Damme's character is a blank, basically. Michael Prey would have been pretty much cast in that if Hmm. things had worked out in a different way. Yeah, weird. I think he, I don't know, not getting the responses that he wanted, maybe dropped off, did smaller things, whatever. I don't know. Yeah, but, I mean, he's still a good actor. It's just he rarely ever gets anything that's not generic direct-to-video crap. Well, what we have, what we have next, actually falls in line with Moon Forty Four. It precedes. What's that? It precedes Moon Forty Four. It's Outland, um, and it precedes it in the. It was made in eighty two, eighty one. Um, right. And it really looks, it really feel. follows the same cues visually. I have actually some good information after the trailer. Okay. Listen. Let's go ahead. In a mining town on the second moon of Jupiter, something deadly is happening. 
pretty soon you'll see that this is just like every other mining town. Work these people hard, never much trouble. We're all professionals. I'm sure we are. I got nothing more on that incident in the mine yesterday. It looks like some guy just went wacko. It happens here. How often? I don't know. It just happens here. Why? I'm not a psychiatrist. I can't tell you why. No way it could have been homicide. It had to have been a suicide. 28 in the last six months. Did you do autopsy? No. Then how do you know it was a suicide? There's no other explanation. When a person exposes himself to zero pressure atmosphere, there isn't a whole lot left to inspect. Try and meddle, I want you to know what you're meddling with. How do you leave? Wash. You're dead. You're the kind of guy you're supposed to be. You wouldn't stick around. That's why they sent you here. Maybe they made a mistake. Outland, the ultimate enemy, is still man. Outland feels like a almost like a gut reaction to Alien. Like instead of making it about a rubbery monster, making you realize that that the worst thing out there is still us. Yeah. Well, what what these movies seem to be doing is they they're unofficial sequels to Alien, but they're not at all following the storyline of the Xenomorphs and Ripley. They're like right. like Outland follows a mining colony. And that seems maybe to have informed aliens, really. Um, a mining colony and uh, a marshal coming into the mining colony city space station town thing and uh, cleaning up because there's some... It's very reminiscent, actually, of... Uh, what's it called? Uh, moon, moon 44. But I'm saying Moon 44 oh. in the plot. You know, there's some saboteur. There's some sort of underhanded... Yeah, it is totally high noon. It's a, a cop against a bunch of bad guys. And no one else will and help no him. No one will help him, yeah. Um, except for a doctor. And she's... Frances Stanhagen, she's, right? She's, her name? I'm not quite sure, but she's pretty awesome. She's so ornery. She she's really ornery, and it's amazing. <laughs> um, but the cop is Sean <laughs> Connery. Uh, the, the, the visual look of it, it's by Peter Hyams. There's a lot... A whole lot that's very much like it's set in like a Wayland Yutani alien sort of uh, environment uh, as far as the industrial design goes. As closer to the end, when they're jumping around on the solar panels or whatever, it loses that look a little bit. Yeah. And then it, once they get back inside, it looks more, it comes back to it. Now, for me, this is Peter Hyam's pinnacle. He did a ton of sci fi, but this is the one that all around seems like his best movie yeah it's completely thought out because he wrote it it's really good instead of doing someone else's script so you know he had control over what he wanted to do with it at the same time there's nothing in it that like oh that doesn't work except for his son when he talks to his son later in the movie oh oh my god that is one of the worst things i've ever seen ever the kid the kid is all just like he's got light in his eyes and he's just smiling in a way that you like it's TV movie, man. It's TV Why movie quality. It's the only thing that doesn't man. work. But yeah, Sean Connery um, is really formidable, and he's like a he's like a straight shooter. But he he's a guy that's at the end of his career, and he um, has been shuffled around from station to station, uh, and they're junkie stations because I don't know. They don't say why. But they imply that people just don't like him. 
Yeah. And, well, probably because he pushes too hard. Maybe because he is. What I've discovered in my life is when I go from job to job, 90% of the time I'm the guy busting his ass who wants to stick to procedure and rules and integrity and honesty. And I constantly find myself in a place filled with guys that just suck. Yeah. Who want to bend the rules whatever way they can, get right. away with whatever they want, are lazy, and. Uh, and just like if they can get away with something, they're gonna do it. And I'm like, this is not how it works. And uh, it's weird how I connect to this movie because yep. I think it's it's that thing. Um, my dad was a con artist, a thief, a liar, and kind of a bum who would manipulate things in his way. And because of that, I decided to go the exact opposite direction. I'm almost to the point where I get in trouble. I actually cause more trouble for myself by sticking to these rules. Than anything else. I am stunned I'm never constantly fired. I'm sad about your dad in that situation. Yeah. That's uncool. But what's really cool is the way that you've gone with it. And how and why you relate to this character. I relate to the character in the same way that you do. Because a lot of the, the 9 to 5 type of jobs that I have had. I've been the guy that's been thrown under the bus because I'm the straight shooter. They're not. They're stealing from the register and whatever. And I'm not. And then I get fired or whatever. But <clears throat> yeah, you're a troublemaker. I was like, wait, but I'm not doing anything wrong. These guys are the things they're doing. Whatever, we're going off yeah, on tangent. Yeah, yeah. But that's the one thing but, I look for but, in movies is a lot of people think it's stupid. A lot of people think Captain America is the most boring superhero of all time. I don't. But because he sticks to a certain way of thinking, um, I love it, and that's what I like in my heroes. Yes, everybody loves the anti-hero now, but it wasn't always that right. way, and I kind of miss that. And. And that's the way Sean Connery is in this. Yeah. He is just hard-nosed. He knows exactly what's right, and he'll fight for it no matter what. And Including he, he, and, chance of losing his life. And, and, and his family. But, but okay, spoiler, he prevails. But it's, it's a really satisfactory revelation. You know, he prevails really, really well. It's good. That's so, yeah, like he goes up to the mining station, and he's supposed to find out why these people are dying mysteriously. And it turns out it's a drug thing. There's a reason why they're their most productive mining station. They're all the on meth. And galaxy, whatever. Yeah, basically it's meth. Yeah, it's a, it's a super space meth. Um, and they get it shipped in in their meat, and he finds it, and then they try to kill him. And that's basically that's it. It's, and it's simple, it's but the so setting, well done. The yeah, setting is, is the really, really the thing. The special effects still hold up, except for a couple things, but you got to expect. 1981, yeah. special effects are going to be rough. And... Uh, the action. Man, He uh, Peter Hyams usually edited his own stuff, and man, he really knew knew what to shoot and what not to shoot. I've read recently some people hating on this movie because the editing sucked. I didn't see that. What movie are no, you I've watching? Are you watching the <laughs> TNT cut for TV painted scan version? I don't know. Right. Well, well, you know, and his son, John, now is directing movies, and he's got a really strong eye, too. He's got a really great yeah. rhythmic eye. He's, he's super good. And the uh, last... Uh, Univ- Universal Soldier. Stuff. The last Universal Soldier had some of the best action in any movie. Yeah. Okay. Um. So you have this ultra super realism. This is this uh, future realism. A lot of the stuff that I like. And then you have this next movie called Space Truckers, which is not. It's I actually really enjoy. It's very nineties. It's very brightly lit. Very almost candy coated. Here. You know. It's here. Very, Check out the trailer. Okay. Attention, all personnel. The room is sealed. Set your weapons for close range! 
in the year 2196. Just lost contact with Command Post 3 outside the second perimeter. It's right outside! Someone has developed the ultimate destructive force. All they need is a man who'll deliver. What have you got? It is a rush shipment to Earth. No questions asked. We'll do it. I've never seen trailers like these before. They look, um... Creepy. You better power down, Canyon. It's coming! Gonna tell us how to stop these things. Dennis Hopper, Stephen Dorr, and Debbie Mazar. Fire it up! Space Truckers. Yeah, so here's my here's here's my analogy. Um, when you have these, you ha- you have uh, aliens was informed by Mobius, um, and graphic artists like Mobius, the French graphic artist, who has also done um, very colorful things like uh, Fifth Element. Uh, that's all informed by metal or like um, heavy metal uh, magazine comic stuff very colorful in fifth element um, this movie is like the American version but you instead of using the French colorful Mobius stuff right. it uses it uses like 90s co- Marvel comics from the 90s or 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 uh, that that other um, ultraverse, whatever, definitely from the '90s style of artwork, with a little bit of the French thing, because I think that the actual truck, his truck, the pachyderm, looks kind of like it belongs in Fifth Element. But apart from that, it's very early '90s Marvel space stuff. And this is very part of Stuart Gordon's trilogy of sci-fi movies. He did uh, what did he do? He did Robot Jocks, Robot Jocks, Fortress, and then this. Which this sat on the shelf for four years, I think, before I ever got. Oh, really? Yeah, it's 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 probably my my favorite likable um, Dennis Hopper role. Yeah. He's incredibly yeah. likable in this. Yeah, so uh, it was in '96 when it was finished filming and ready for release, but no one picked it up. It just sat around and sat around. Even though it was a, a hit overseas, it just and it, I think it got picked up by. Uh, Oh, what is it called? Sterling Home Video or something? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, which yeah. Of, which is actually Lionsgate. Lionsgate created like this video label called Sterling, then called it Studio, and then just said, "Why do we do it again? Oh, let's just absorb this into Lionsgate." So yeah, yeah, it's uh, well, it, it has. What is the story? What's the story here? I don't know. You don't know the story. Not really. Okay. Well, we, well right. I watched this years ago, and I watched the five minute thing because I couldn't find the movie anywhere. In fact, I think it's out of print. Um, well, I just watched it because um, I'm really crafty and clever and getting a hold of things. Um, but uh, it is about. It starts off with uh, robots, robot like Terminator sort of things, or, or like they're predator. They they are actually kind of informed by the xenomorphs as far as how their design looks, but they're not organic. They're like a combination of organic and and uh, metal. Uh, but they're black, and they have a tripod, tri-beam thing on their head um, as their face. Well, uh, those things are super killers, and um, they're testing one, and it kills everybody. Now, this is something that I noticed in in this whole story, is that the gore is fake. It's totally false gore. Yeah. When a person gets blown in half, instead of being our kind of guts, it's really kind of bubbly uh plasticky and uh, like lavender looking yeah 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 
It had yeah. another a comic book feel. And, and I think that was to get away from being how horrific it would be if it was a person that was really blown in half and his guts landed. Yeah, you were asking me if it's an R-rated movie. It might be PG-13 yeah. because of the the things that he chose to do with it. Yeah, but I, I ask because the villain, who is played by Charles Dance, Charles Dance, he is actually trying to hijack this cargo. This movie could have been called Cargo. Yeah. Um, the cargo are these super killer robots that he designed himself, but he was uh, double-crossed and uh, blown to smithereens, and he rebuilt himself, and part of that rebuilding is he rebuilt himself with a super ultra-pleasurable uh, wiener. <laughs> that he starts, like, you know, starting a lawnmower. But you never see it. You just see him pulling, like, the string or the cord off camera, like his hand comes up and goes... <laughs> Yeah, it's stupid. Um, so this movie, I guess, is campy. I hate the, to use the term camp, but um, I was just it's a little comic booky. It, yeah, it's it's very very goofy looking. Um, it is quite enjoyable, actually. It's uh, Dennis Hopper's this old seasoned grizzled uh, trucker, and he's got this girlfriend who. He says it's his fiance, but he said, you know, the only way that you're going to get to Earth is if I take you there, because she's trying to get back to Earth because of her sister or something. She really wants to go back, and he's like, I'll let you go if you'll be my fiance. <laughs> we can get married. And he, by the end of it, he's like, you know, that's that's a bum deal. You and the kid, which is Steven Dorf, you, I got jealous of you guys, so I've been giving you a little bit of grief. It's not that much grief. It's he's, it's a really fun role for him. And Steven Dorff isn't nearly as annoying as Steven Dorff can be. Yeah. Um, he's he's a straight... Everybody's pretty straight in this story as far as uh, characterization goes. Um, and Debbie Mazar, who has some guns. She's got some really good arms in this movie. I noticed that. She's like... Because they have to strip down because... Yeah, they have to. Um, the, <laughs> the, script, the script said they have to strip down because their thermostat was out of whack. I don't think Hollywood has ever known what to do with Debbie Mazar because she's got the chops, but she doesn't have the typical look. She's no, not unattractive, she's, but she's, she's really tiny. She she looks she's super small. She's cute. She's even pretty. She's got an attitude, you know. She she can have an attitude. I don't. I think one of the things is that she's never lost her drawl. She's like totally Brooklyn. So no one's ever known Maybe. what to do with her. So except with the exception of Entourage, you know, it seems like a lot of people have just forgotten about her the last ten years. She has some reality show though. I guess that's popular, but I never, I never watched it. What? Uh, I didn't cook, know. She, her husband's like a famous cook or something, a famous chef. So they have a show oh, right. together. Yeah, yeah. So that's all I know. Oh, that's cool. All right, Space well, Truckers. Hard Space to find, Truckers is but pretty fun. You can find it. Yeah. But uh, you, you got to figure it out. Uh, your next one is is your pick. It's. A uh, movie that I like, but um, Starship Troopers. Starship Troopers! Here we go with the trailer. In every age, there is a cause worth fighting for. But in the future, the greatest threat to our survival will not be man at all. Hey! 
Kid, what's going on? It's war! We're going to war! Now, the youth of tomorrow must travel across the stars to defend our world. We are a generation commanded by fate to defend humankind. Everyone fights, no one quits. We are going in with first wave. You smash the entire area, you kill anything that has more than two legs, you get me? We get you, sir! But they will face an enemy more devastating than any ever imagined. Here it comes! It's coming! Render attack, sir. We need retrieval now. Someone made a damn mistake. The bugs laid a trap for us, didn't? Prepare for battle and journey to the front lines of the next frontier. Kill them all! Starship Troopers. All right, Starship Troopers. That's my final selection. Uh, you know, there's a trailer. There's a trailer of this that I was tempted to use. Yes. But but it was just. Basically, it does the intro of, like, you know, uh, In a World or whatever, and then it cuts to the song by Blur Song 2. Yeah. And then that's all it is with a bunch of explosion noises. And I was like, dang it, because I just love that song. <laughs> okay, so Starship <laughs> Troopers. Uh, delayed for a really long time. Spring. Was it? Didn't come out. Summer. Didn't come out. Fall. Didn't come out. Thanksgiving. Okay, we're ready. Because the special all effects right. took so long but they're good yes and they're really good it was just never ready in time now starship troopers is actually much maligned because it's completely misunderstood in fact the very first time it's i saw time. it the first time i saw it i thought the action sequences were amazing the special effects were jaw-dropping the gore was yeah but the acting was terrible just truly god-awful crap and i didn't get it and the story was kind of uh i kind of get it but i don't get it it wasn't until the my acting second... is still the acting is still terrible. Oh, but, but it's purposely it's not, so. Yeah, it's not, well. I don't think any of those actors, no, barring a few of them, have gone on and done things that have risen too far above their abilities in this movie. That said, this movie is a satire. Yeah, here's the thing: is I think Clancy Brown knows it's a satire. I think Michael. Oh Ironside, wait, 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 wait! No. My, those guys. I'm not talking about those guys. I'm talking yeah. about the leads. Oh yeah, yeah. But I'm saying those two probably knew. And I think Denise Richards kind of had a sense. The rest of them were playing it completely straight. I think they were told to play it straight. I think they were purposely chosen because they were terrible. Patrick Muldoon, Casper Van Dien, and Denise (laughs) Richards. Those three right there had no sense of what was going on at all. Neil Patrick Harris, I'm not even 100% certain he knew that it was a joke. But he's a smart guy, so probably. But, man. Uh, and you Dina Meyer. uh, Dina Meyer. She plays it straight, but she's always adequate in every role that she does. I, I, I like, I like Dina Meyer quite a bit, yeah. But man, yeah, she's watching adequate. those. She's... Okay, so here's a scene. Here's a scene. Here's a scene. Patrick Muldoon, Casper Van Dien, Denise Richards. They're the love triangle. There's a fight in the mess hall. That's so bad. It's so... The song oh. that's playing is a song that's playing right now. It is Mazzy Stars Fade Into You. Oh, that, the most, yeah. The most counter... That, you know how songs can... You know, like you have like uh, Somewhere Under the Rainbow Over. during this incredibly violent action scene. It can work because it's called juxtaposition. Right. It totally works. You go like, oh, well, I don't expect Somewhere Over the Rainbow while heads are exploding. <laughs> that can work because it's actually making a statement with two, two things colliding. Um, the music and the visuals. This movie, this scene doesn't have that at all. It's just a really beautiful love song in a mess hall 
that wouldn't be playing that love song. Right. And there's a fist fight going on, and the song kind of swells up a little bit during the fist fight, and there's... It doesn't work. It does not work. I think it doesn't work that, at all. That's the weirdest part of the movie. Yeah, for me. Paul Verhoeven, I think, has been purposely messing with the Hollywood system the entire time since RoboCop. Is like, you want to give me your studio movie? Ha 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 ha! You know, and then he gives us stuff that we think we want, and then he does like purposely trashy movies. And all right, so I, Hollow so Man, you know, you, uh, Total Recall, RoboCop—they're all satire, just different ways yeah. of telling that. Do you know why they look fascistic? Why Bueno Buenos Aires? Because I think it's a commentary on how American forces force our—I uh, didn't mean to use the word force twice—have a way of forcing our ideas onto other cultures. Like we're almost no. fat. No. No. What is it? It is. Uh, it is a theory, and this is actually a really uh, proven theory that when the Nazis, a lot of Nazi war criminals. And escaped. They escaped to South America. We see this um, referenced a little bit in uh, X Men First Class, where he goes down to South America. Right. And there's two right. Nazis down there. In various other movies, the the uh, boys from Brazil does this as well. Um, but they Buenos Aires is the station is where a lot of Nazis went. And so it's this uh, the deep roots culture thing. And so this is a future fu- future that uh, Buenos Aires is now this kind of like an America. That's where the story is centered. And so, uh, yeah, everything springs up from this Nazi-ish uh, totalitarian outfits, designs, including the big old bird on their flags style this is this is not just a theory this is really oh see i thought the whole thing was based on the fact that you know how uh paul verhoeven viewed america as a bunch of bullies who forced our view of the world onto everybody else so we came i am sure that's also part of it Hmm. but it's centered in buenos aires because yeah you know what that makes sense yeah because that was an odd choice i was like why are we here of all places in the country you know because usually tell a story from american viewpoint or yeah. maybe European, but I was like, Buenos Aires. But, and everybody, everybody isn't speaking Spanish. They're all speaking English, American English, right. non-regional English. So, yeah. Um, I think it's a bit of yours, but totally a lot of what I just said. Okay. Yeah, so the movie, so. besides the satire and the purposely bad acting and stuff like that, you know, I still think it's pretty exciting. It's a full-fledged story. It's nothing like the book. I read the book, and I was like, what is all of this? Um... The, the special effects are astonishing. Not just the digital effects, but Rob Bottin's stuff is pretty good. The only thing that doesn't really work is when he throws the knife through Jake Busey's hand. You can kind of yeah. see it's a fake hand. It's like... <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, and it kind of launched a franchise. The movie did not do that well. It made like $65 million, cost 100 But it did very well in video and overseas. Yep. So we got to see the cartoon after that, which is critically acclaimed. And it's much closer to the book. Power suits and all that. Yeah, and then we had the two sequels. Now, most people hate Starship Troopers 2 because it cost about $6 million. Now, Phil Tippett, who who spearheaded the actual arachnids, the, the bugs, that and the special effects for the bugs, yeah. he, his first movie was Starship Troopers 2. I think it's actually a pretty good movie, and it took... Um, 
it took something we never thought was going to happen because back then, direct-to-video sequels to big movies like that usually did not happen unless it was Disney. And he reused a lot of the special effects. He repurposed them. He didn't do the Roger Corman way of reusing special effects where it's just that straight shot. He found yeah. a way of taking the special effects and overlaying them over new scenes. You know, like uh, Well, because it's in a computer, he can just toss right. in the file and reappropriate it, like you said. So he does that, but a lot of it's... Um, a new type of bug that gets inside of you, grows inside of you, and takes over. And I thought the effects were pretty grotesque and really well done when they actually reveal the bug inside people. You know, and yeah. it's, it's it's more of um, it's more of like an invasion of the body snatcher, not invasion of body snatcher. Yep. Uh, you know, one of those kind yeah. of genres like Puppet Masters, where it's taking you over, you don't know who is yeah. who. And well, it is invasion of body snatchers. Yeah. But the invasion doesn't get so far into that. You're right. Puppet Masters is more like it. That's also a high line. Yeah. Six million dollars. I think what he did with it was really entertaining. I'll say it's awfully green, like the way. Did he... you see Marauders? What? Oh, oh the third the one. The third. Yeah, I was gonna move on to yeah. that one. The third one. Um, everybody was going crazy over the fact that you got Ed Newmeyer, and um, you know, in in control of it, directing it. You know, he wrote the original script. He wrote RoboCop. You know, oh, here comes the yeah. satire again. Here comes the special effects. Then instead of doing it for six, they did it for twenty. And I don't know if they intended it for it to be in the theaters. Or what? Yeah, they did the third one for $20 million. It doesn't look it. It looks rough. And not only do they cheat us at Casper Van Dien, because they said he was going to be back as a star, he is in it a, a, a quite a bit, but it's more of an Anne Casper Van Dien. It's uh, Jolene Blaylock, who is god-awful. Who is yeah, I don't... I don't re- she's fine as a, as a Vulcan. But, but in Starship Troopers, she is terrible. The movie just yeah. doesn't gel. I feel like Ed wanted to do huge things. Like, he wanted to make a $50 million movie on a $20 million budget, but it just... I can tell you, I don't even remember Marauders. I don't either. I obviously have Amnesia, too. I just remember a lot of stuff. Like, that's an interesting idea, but it doesn't it doesn't come out right because he didn't have the funds. So... Do they do the power suits in Marauders? Uh, I don't recall. I Seriously, I've almost Amnesia to the third one. Yeah. Maybe we should be talking about it then. But well, I, but yeah. I well, he, Starship Troopers, fun stuff. He brought, the first one. yeah, he brought the satire back. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work the same way as it does in the first one. Seems heavy-handed. You think? Um, th- no, it's just the jokes just aren't as sharp. That's all. Uh, here's here's something called um, Starship. Doesn't have a trailer. I think no, not in English anyway. Starship Troopers to Starship. There's another one of my little anecdotes. Oh, Starship. Was, uh, We're talking the British movie. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's uh, British German, Austrian, or British Australian, Aust- Australian. Um, uh, okay, when I was a child, again, 1985 is when this movie came out. It came out on my birthday, July 5th. I'm expecting gift cards from everybody. July 5th. <laughs> um, so it came out in 1985, July 5th. I had just turned 11, but I was in America by that time, so I must have seen this before then, but. I couldn't have seen it, but what I saw was um, we were walking in Germany at some in some town. I don't remember where. Uh, we were walking by a movie theater, and there were lobby cards and posters set up. Back when they used to two, do that kind of thing, there were two of them, two 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 uh, poster windows. One had Swamp Thing on it. <laughs> Yeah, photos of Swamp Thing with the sword, you know, fighting at the the finale and all that stuff. And I was like, oh. Swamp Thing had a sword at the end of... I don't remember that at all. And besides, that was 1982. Not, that was... not not him, but the villain. Oh, Arcane. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Um, so, 
I was like, oh. And my parents were like, oh, crud. Yeah. He's lo- he's drooling over these monsters. Great. Because, you know, conservative folks. Um, and then the next one was these screenshots from this film that we're talking about now. Starship. Or Lorca and the Outlaws. Or Red Wing. Red Wing. Yeah, that's had, the title. Had, had screenshots of um, the spaceship Red Wing. And then these... Uh, automaton soldier guys that are pretty interesting looking. Their helmets are they're geometric football helmets, basically, um, and they have metal faces and their mouths don't move, but they all have like a nose and mouth and eyes. Um, and then this little boy version of that. I remember all this from that, but I never saw the movie. We moved to America. I forgot about the movie. I got the internet in 96 or something, or 5 or whatever. And time progresses, 98. I start remembering things, 90-something. And then I just start looking looking up the, the information, robot, boy, spaceship, whatever. Little tiny details mm-hmm. that I just picking from my head and, and I'm yahooing it before we could Google and I found information of it. It's called Starship. And I was like, what? So, eventually. Eventually, being uh, not so far ago. In a galaxy right here on Earth. Um, I watched the movie. And part of it is great. And a lot of it is not. Yeah, it's slow, man. It's slow. I've tempted two or three times now to watch this. I saw it about ten years ago, and I barely paid attention. I watched it again maybe like six years ago when I found a VHS of it here. Like, I owned it. And, oh, uh, wow. And it was awful. It just, That's amazing. What? That you found it. Oh, copy. well, I used to have one of the most massive collection of rare VHS in the world, and uh, I had a couple copies of Starship, and... I don't. It still doesn't work. It, 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 here's the weird thing about the movie: it looks interesting. It, it has no, it interesting can't work concept. in America. The American version can't work. It's it's been changed for the American market. They Plus, redubbed all the voices on VHS. It Everything's looks awful. different on VHS. It looks yeah. terrible. Now there is a version on YouTube. Um, it's called. They call it Red Wing. Um, it's directed by Roger Christian. He is a dude who worked really closely with Lucas Star Wars stuff. Uh, and he was second unit director on Phantom Menace and all this stuff. And did a um, uh, destroyed his career with Battlefield Earth. Battlefield Earth, and then he did Stranded, which you just watched recently. He did that movie. I watched it, but yeah. I never finished it. I just remember that one movie he did. It was crap. Where like he's in uh, Prisoners of the Deep, or I, you know, I don't even remember. It was never mind. Forget. Forget. I even said that. Yeah. Moving on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, he did this movie, and it really does have a good look for the most part. Not. What you're talking about on VHS, I totally get yeah. it. Yeah, well, it has an Australian that... look. It looks very yeah. Australian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Um, there's this big action set piece in the, one of these uh, mega trucks, um, which is pretty interesting. Um, that stunt with him hanging off there looked yeah. terrifying. Yeah, it is pretty terrifying. Here's the plot. I'll just read it straight. On the remote mining planet Ordessa, the management uses killer military police androids. To crack down on workers upset with the terrible conditions. Lorca and his mother, Abby, led the human underground resistance movement until Abby was killed by androids. 
This is all past tense. It's funny. <laughs> and not until she is, you know, the, how they usually write it. Like, is, yeah. they write it, was. She was. This is a true story. Now Lorca and Susie battle Captain Jowett and a brutal bounty hunter, Danny. Because Danny is such a brutal man. <laughs> With the help of the friendly android, Grid. Played by Deep Roy, mind you. Little tiny Deep Roy. We may know of him from famous movies such as Neverending Story, uh, Willy Wonka, Charlie, and the Chocolate Factory. Doctor, was he? In- he no. was all of he was all of the Oompa Loompas, and oh, he yeah, was yeah, in, yeah, yeah. he was in Star Trek and Star Trek Two or the um, um, the reboot, whatever, Into Darkness. He was uh, Simon Pegg's uh, Scotty's little. Rock dude. <laughs> yep. All right. So, what, what 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 is it about Starship that stuck with you? The visuals, just the, those those things that I saw as a child have been burned into my eyes, burned into my retinas and in my memory synapses. I, I think I'll die remembering those images. And I saw them. And Peter Peter Gabriel has a bit in the international version. Yeah, that was strange. I saw him. I was like, what? Yeah. Because of Genesis, right? The, one of the guys from Genesis does the music, and you probably got him to come in for a bit. Oh, okay. See, in the American cut of it, they get rid of the, the Genesis guy's score. They over, huh. overdub everybody. The kid is named... The, the robot's named Kid in the original version. Now he's named Grid. All these problems with the American market version, and it came out in 87 in America, whereas in 85, July 5th, it came out all around the world, elsewhere. Anyway, it's got a cult following. It doesn't. It's more of a German cult following, actually. I found a lot. That's why the the cut that you can see on YouTube has. Um, it's like a fan edit. It takes. It's a composite. It takes right. Takes a bunch from from both sources and it makes the complete picture. And it has uh, certain scenes are in German, so. Which was weird, because I, I, you told me, I still was like, wait, what, what's going on? Why is this in German? Well, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Right, and then it cuts back, right? So there's some yeah. really likable things, and if it's totally, like I mentioned before, it's a Saturday movie. Totally, if it were to come on TV, you would just zone out on a Saturday afternoon, watching it, and then you'd go, oh, I just saw this weird movie, man. That this little robot guy. Yeah, back in the day, you used to do that. You know, back in the 80s, you only had so many things to choose from. Either you had to go to the video store, you watch what was there on your local four stations, and that's how you end up watching some weird stuff. Now it's just like mm-hmm. a gridlock. You have too much to watch, so therefore you really don't watch anything. You just store stuff in your queue, and that's it. All right, so is that our last movie? No, the last one is, uh, I don't think you've ever heard of this. It's called Spacewalk. Spacewalk. Here, have a Trailer. Blast off for adventure this year's most exciting science fiction thriller, Spacewalk. It's the future. The year is 2010. The last vestige of humanity, Terra 7, is set to colonize Mars until... In a billion dollar spacecraft. When something goes wrong. This is the most advanced spacecraft ever. Ever. And it's falling apart. What do you want me to do about it? Just get out there and do your job. Someone needs to fix it. Oh boy. Number one, uh, looks like we have a problem here. Okay. 
think he's seen me. This summer, the fate of all mankind rests in the hands of one man. Okay, so Spacewalk, I love how <laughs> the future, 2010. <laughs> the future, when you watch movies, it's like a set in the far future, and you're like, wait, that was six years ago. That, that never right. happened. Yeah. <laughs> right? Um, th- this is a BS thing. I have actually got a song called Spacewalk. Uh, eh, eh, it's, it's just a joke, but th- I, I, uh, this, it's set on a space station. I figured that my false trailer that I, I did, those are all my voices. All of them, as you could probably tell. Yeah, I can. I, well, I know your voice well enough to know that. Uh, yeah. You, you have a, some voice actors can completely shake who they are, and some can't. I gotta tell you, as great as Mel Blanc was, a lot of times you just sit there and listen, going, "Yeah, I can tell it's all from the same person." Yeah, it's all from the same guy. I can do, I can do certain things, but when I do my gruff guy, it's uh, it's just me. Very deep just voice. That. Yeah, the gruff guy. Hey guys. So this movie would have been just basically what the trailer says. Who would have starred in it? Who do you have in your mind? Who do I? Okay, it doesn't matter. Sam Sam Rockwell. Okay. Sam Rockwell could actually be the the hero, Colonel Buzz. Uh, who would be the grizzled guy? Um, Craig T. Nelson. Yeah, a Good comeback, one. a comeback like for great Craig T. Nelson. Give me uh, like uh, just sorry excuse for an astronaut. Do you like the plan words? Sorry excuse for an okay. astronaut. Back to the <laughs> ship, whatever. Anyway, yeah, basically it's just like space crabs okay. attack the the space space station. crabs. Space crabs. In fact, when I did that, I got the when itch. I did that, I listed a ton of stuff like space crab, space puppies, space this, space that. It's a whole bunch of stuff. And when we did the actual song um, at the end, there's some dialogue parts, and uh, the other guy in station at the time. He edited in Space Crabs. That's the one he picked. So Nice. So next show All right, we so do... so are we wrapped yeah, up? Yeah, next show we're going to yep. do is going to be some variation of road movies. Uh, road trip! There are so many different types of road movies. We're not going to focus on only one single style. Uh, so, um, and we're probably going to have a shorter list. Just, yeah. just for the sake of... Keeping it I want, you know, we wanted to talk about like the Mad Max stuff, but I think we should say that for a post-apocalyptic. Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. So that's another show. All right, all right. So that's our next episode. Uh, this is probably the longest one we've had in a couple yeah. months. There's a lot to talk about. We had to edit so much out of this list and say, well, maybe this will go on this list. Maybe this will go yep. on that one. A lot of you know? So I didn't, I didn't bring as much to this as I, as I usually do too. This is mostly Michael. Your list are you? You're usually your lists are usually like, oh boy, this is gonna be a while. All right, this episode was one month in the making. That's how much watching we did, and then saying, nah, this doesn't work. This yeah, works. This yeah. doesn't work. This works. So I hope you guys enjoyed hope it. So and sorry to break the bad news that you've already got, but I mean, it was yeah. broken to us as we were recording. So live long and prosper, Leonard Nimoy. <laughs> <laughs>